0: Well, good morning. My name is Travis. I'm the campus pastor at New Life Church in Wilsonville, and I'm very glad to be with you this morning as we do the next installment in our sermon series on someone else's money, our sermon series on stewardship. And the question that I have for you this morning is how will you prepare to be generous to meet the needs of others? How are you going to prepare To be generous to meet the needs of others. And we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we consider that question together. And you can find that in your Bible app or if you have a Bible handy, pull that open. But we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. But before we do that, why don't we pray? Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have always been speaking to your people that you have been revealing yourself and your character to us, that we might know you, that we might know of your love and of your generosity. Father, we pray that this morning as we uh, open your word together, that you would speak to us, that you would remind us of that character, and that you would encourage us. Father, we ask that you would do this through the work of your Holy Spirit, and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's writing to them for a variety of reasons. He's writing to them to encourage them about some issues that are going on there in Corinth, but he's also writing to them to tell them about issues that are going on in other places. And one of the things that he has made known to them is the needs of the church in Jerusalem. He's been writing to them and saying that this is an issue. And in fact, when he had been visiting them prior, he had talked with them about that. And they they said, oh yeah, we would love to give. We would love to give to help meet the needs of of the church in Jerusalem. And then he went from there and was visiting churches in Macedonia and is now writing back to them again, reminding them of that commitment and telling them, hey, you remember how you committed to that I want to make sure you're still planning to do that. That you're still planning to do this. And so he he writes, and at the beginning of chapter 8, he says this, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. He's saying, look, look, I know of your faith. I know of your, of your love. I know that you believe in the Lord and that you have been committed to Him. I, I know that you are knowledgeable in the ways of God, and have been searching the Scriptures to understand them. And now I want to make sure that as you are faithful in all of those things, as you are committed in all of those ways, that also in the same way you excel in this act of grace. This act of grace in giving to the needs of other people. He's writing this to them because he's saying, "If your faith is strong, if you know the right things to say and you understand the gospel as it was handed down for us, then also you ought to be thinking about how you can generously meet the needs of other people." In fact, at the beginning of the book of Second of Corinthians, it, it began this way. He says, "Blessed be the God uh, this is Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. These words as I read them just strike me as um, how relevant they are right now as you are sitting in your living room or in, or in a, a room at, at your home and watching this, because we are all experiencing something together. And Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, I know that you also have been afflicted, but you've been afflicted so that you might receive comfort from God and then provide that comfort to other people as well. You've been afflicted and have been comforted. We are comforting one another as we've been similarly afflicted with one another. And now we can comfort one another because we have each received the comfort of God. And so he's writing to them and he's saying, you likewise get to do this. And so now excel in everything. This is verse 7 of, of uh, first, Second Corinthians chapter 8. As you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, here's the thing that's happened. He was in Corinth and he was talking with the Corinthians about the needs in Jerusalem. And they said, oh, yeah, we would love to give to that. And they planned to do that, but they didn't have opportunity right then to do that. And so they said, oh, yeah, we'll do that later. And so Paul left there and he ended up uh, at this church in Macedonia and he was talking with the Macedonians and he's going, you know, the Corinthians, um, they are intending to give to help out those who are in Jerusalem. And the Macedonians said, oh, that's great. We want to do that too. And Paul went, Oh, uh, well, the, in Corinth, you know, they, they have quite a bit of resources. And I recognize you don't have as many resources here in Macedonia. And the Macedonians begged them. No, no, no. Just like the Corinthians are giving to help with the needs in Jerusalem, we also we also want to help with the needs that are in Jerusalem. And so Paul said, okay. And this is what we were seeing in the, the first part of, that they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so now Paul is going, okay, so uh, Corinthians, I just want you to know that you encouraged the Macedonians to give in your commitment to give. And so now he's writing them to say... And now I want to make sure that you're planning to follow through on that. I want to make sure that you're planning to follow through on the things that you committed to because otherwise this would be a significant embarrassment for me and for you. If I were to come to Macedonia and I was, was to tell the Macedonians, oh, the Corinthians are prepared to give and they're really excited to give and then the Macedonians give and you didn't, wow, that would be super embarrassing. Not that I'm concerned that you won't give, but... I just want to make sure that you're prepared. I just want to make sure that you're prepared. And so that's what what he says. I I say this in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I, I want you to prove, to demonstrate that your love is genuine, just like you have said, just like you have indicated, like I know that it really is. I just want you to uh, follow through and actually do it. And, and you know how this is, right? There are times at which if you don't plan, if you don't make the commitment, it won't actually happen. Maybe you were well-intentioned and you went, oh yes, I can, I can give to that. Maybe this happened, some need somewhere, you heard about it. It was at the school or it was at the church or or some other thing. And in your mind, you went, oh yeah, I can totally help out with that. I can totally do that. But then when it really came right down to it, either because of lack of opportunity or lack of time or just lack of follow-through on your part, it didn't actually happen. It requires the planning But then it also requires the follow through. And he's saying, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm not commanding that you give. You've already indicated that you wanted to give. You've already said that you wanted to do that. And so it's not coming from me as a command to you to say you must give. I'm just reminding you of the things that you have already said that you wanted to do and encouraging you to follow through on the commitments that you've already made. You see, we we often say that we love other people, but this is the tangible way that we can demonstrate that. When you're helping meet people's needs, that's when they know that that they are loved by you. That's when they know. It's very easy to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. But it's another thing entirely that when they are in need, you follow through on that love so that it's not just something that's said, but it's something that's done. You're actually physically meeting their needs. It's going to cost you something, it's not easy. And that's the reason that it demonstrates the real love. Because it does cost you something. Because it isn't easy. That's how they know that you actually love them. That you're actually good friends. That you actually care about them. It's when they are in need, and when you are generous in helping to meet that need, that's when they know of your love for them. In fact, that is how we know that God loves us. That's how we know that God loves us. It's because of His generous gifts to us. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. When God looked at you and said, they have great need. The way that he decided to handle that was to send his son. And Jesus so loved you that though you were sinful and separated from God, he left heaven. And his position there so that he could come down and take the form of a man and live among us. So that he could die on a cross. Be buried in the grave and rise again from the dead to forgive you of your sins. That's how much he loved you. Think about the eternal riches of Jesus. The eternal riches of Jesus. Jesus, the One who created the heavens and the earth and abides in heaven, said, I'm going to lay this stuff aside. I'm going to put all of these things aside and become poor so that I might extend to you the riches of the Kingdom of Heaven. That... God will accept you as His children. The Son of God has come down, has given His life for you so that you might be adopted as a child of God and inherit the heavens with Him. How awesome is the love of God that provides in that way. This is how we know that Jesus loves us. Because though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. How awesome is that? How great a demonstration of the love of Jesus. And so now he's saying, having used that as an example, he says, okay, this is is who Jesus is. And this is how you know that Jesus loves you and this is how other people know that you love them is by when you give in the same way, then they know that you love them. As you genuinely love them, you will uh, earnestly demonstrate that love by generously giving. He says, goes on to say in, in verse 10, and in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. You say, look, just like you planned to do it before, you intended to do it before, now follow through on your commitments. Follow through on your commitments. Not just just having planned to do it, but actually following through and making sure that you really do it. This is the the challenge that we have, right? Sometimes I, I think that we think we will be generous spontaneously. That somehow a need will arise and we will go, oh, I'll be happy to meet that need. But more often than not, we don't become generous suddenly, but we plan to be generous. We plan ahead of time and we say, this is what we're going to do, and then we are generous because we planned to. And if you don't plan to, it's very easy to to not follow through on it but to have the commitment to do it and then to actually follow through and do it. So one of the ways that um, Teresa and I, my wife and I, have, have done this is, is we'll, we'll uh, go to support the school. And every couple of years our, our school, our children's school has a, an auction and we'll go and we'll participate. But before we go to that, we talk ahead of time about how much do we want to give to the school. We love the school. We appreciate the school. We appreciate the things that they do for our kids. And so together we discuss and we say, how much do we want to give? And then when we go, we find reasons, ways at this auction that we can do, give money because we've decided ahead of time this is what we're going to do. It doesn't leave us in the moment going, well, it's for a good cause or how much or whatever. We, we have decided ahead of time. This is how much we want to do. We've looked at our ability. We've looked at our means. We've decided this is our plan. And then when we get there, we follow through on that plan. And so that's what he's telling them to do. Because generosity rarely happens without a plan. Maybe you intended to do it. Maybe you thought you would do it. And you, you just lacked the opportunity. Or, or maybe, maybe you deceived yourself. You wanted to appear, either to yourself or to someone else, you wanted to appear generous, but not actually follow through on making it happen. But what he says in verse 12, what Paul's telling the Corinthians in verse 12 is, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, now this is key to me. That you both have the readiness, the willingness, the desire, and also according to what you have. God is not expecting that you are going to give to meet needs beyond what you have. That's not the expectation. But the expectation is that you will be generous with what you do have. With what God has provided for you. These are some of the things that we've been talking about uh, as we've been going through this series, that this is someone else's money. This is all God's money. How are you using God's money? And those first couple of weeks we were talking about how God would meet our needs and take care of those things. But, and then last week, uh, Pastor Tim was talking about tithing. And how one of the ways that we demonstrate that we believe that God provides everything, is that we give a tenth back to Him. And now this is not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the tithing piece and the giving back to God to demonstrate that we believe in His faithfulness. He's now talking about beyond that, above and beyond that a generous giving to meet other kinds of needs, that when we see the needs of people around us, we would recognize that God has given us these resources and that we can share those resources with others according to what we have. Some people have a lot and some people have a little. Some people have a lot extra and some people have a little extra. And that's okay. You don't have to pretend to have a lot extra. And you don't have to take beyond your means to give to somebody else's needs. In fact, that's what he goes on to say in verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. He says, I, I, don't, I don't mean that you need to be burdened, that, that you need to take on extra burdens so that they are relieved, so that they have excess. What I mean is that in that bit of excess that you have, that you would take from that and go to meet their deficiencies, that you would use that to meet their needs, the things that they don't have enough of. It's a it's a matter of fairness. It's a, a matter of equality. Equality is a, a super um, high value for people. We we want lots of things to be fair or equitable. We want equal rights. We want equal access. We want equal value of personhood. We want equal treatment. And he's, he's saying that this is particularly true in the body of believers. In, in those, the community of God's people who believe in Jesus, this should be particularly true. That we wouldn't have people who have needs and others who have excess and that that would continue. But rather that those who have excess would give to those who have need so that there would be no more needs. So there could be equality equity between them. He says, I, I see this as a, a matter of fairness, that your abundance at the present time should supply for their need so that their abundance may supply your need. And, and maybe what he has in mind here is something along the lines of Aesop's fables. Right? You're, you may be familiar with uh, Aesop's fable of, of the lion and the mouse. And the, the lion was walking through uh, the woods and uh, comes across a mouse. And he grabs the mouse and the mouse says, wait, 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 please, please, please don't. And the lion is, is angry because the, the mouse was, was in his way. And, it, it, and the mouse says, no, please don't, please, if, if you if you will let me go, then at some point when you're in need, I will help you also. And the lion just goes, What? I'm a lion and you're a mouse. How would you supply for my needs? And the mouse says, No, no, really. If you find yourself in need, I will be happy to help out. And for whatever reason, the lion says, Okay, fine. And he lets the mouse go. And a couple of days later, as the the lion is walking again, he falls into a trap and this net, a hunter's net, captures the lion. And he roars out and the mouse comes running up. And he says, oh, you remember how you were merciful to me, how you let me go. I want to also help you now. And so the mouse chews through the ropes to set the lion free. Maybe this is the same kind of thing that that Paul is talking about. You have an abundance there in Corinth and now you can give to the church in Jerusalem and then someday maybe there will be a reversal of fortunes and the church in Jerusalem will give back to you. Or maybe he's talking about the spiritual wealth that has been coming from Jerusalem to them. That as as spirituality and faith began, as, as Jesus began his ministry there in Israel and Jerusalem and it went out from there. And so the, the sort of church headquarters was there in Jerusalem and people were going out from there and supplying missionaries and supplying uh, counsel and wisdom to these other churches that were out and about in Macedonia and Corinth and other places. Maybe he's, he's saying that as you are meeting their physical needs there in Jerusalem, as they are physically deficient, they are helping you at the same time with your spiritual needs. I'm not sure which of those he's referring to, but in either case, what he's talking about is that one being rich and the other being poor or deficient, having needs, that the, the one that has enough would give to those who don't have enough. So that there can be equality, he wants them to uh, have this as an expectation. That when you have enough, that you would identify that piece and say, "Okay, this is more than what I need. I can use this to be generous, to give to those who have need." As it is written, he says in verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's referring to uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 16 when God was providing manna from heaven. You'll remember that, that the Israelites had come out of Egypt God had delivered them out of slavery. He had brought them out, and they said, we don't have any food out here. And so God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down manna from heaven, and so you will have bread to eat every morning. And then the quail are going to come in, and there's going to be meat for you to eat every evening. And God saw their need and provided for their needs. And then it says that when they would go out and they would collect, That some would collect a lot and some would collect a little, but when it was all measured out, nobody had more than enough and nobody had not enough. But everybody had exactly how much they needed. Everybody was taken care of because God had provided for their needs and He provided for their needs on a daily basis. And Paul is using this example from uh, Exodus to encourage them to say, look, all of these resources have come from God. All of these resources have come from God so that you can provide for other people's needs. There's no reason for there to be some who have more than enough and some to not have enough because God is the one who provides for all of those things. And so within the church, within uh, the community of those who believe in Jesus, there should be those who share with one another so that all of the needs are met so that no one will have lack. We saw the same kind of thing in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and they were acting in the, in, as the early church. That's how we refer to, to them in Acts 2. Is the, the early church, the first Christians meeting together. And this is how it describes them in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. as any had needs, those needs were being met because those who had the resources would provide for those who didn't have the resources. And as I think about that and as I recognize that um, many of you are at home right now and many of you are thinking about the needs that are coming in our communities. And what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? I'm not saying that you have to solve all of the problems. The problems are going to be overwhelming and we don't even know what they all are. Some of the problems have not even manifested themselves yet. And some of them are just beginning. Maybe you know someone right now who is sick or maybe in a few weeks you will. Maybe you know someone right now who is dying or maybe in a few weeks you will. Maybe you know someone right now who is out of work or has lost their job or whose business is going under, or maybe in a few weeks you will. And I know that many of you are eager to do whatever you can to help. You're looking for every opportunity. You're saying, I have the desire right now. I just want to do something. I know that there are many of you right now that are home and frustrated going, really, is the best I can do right now to sit at home and do nothing? And for now, maybe that is. But I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this because right now there are many, many people sitting at home with nothing to do and they're wanting to be helpful and they don't know how. And so they're calling around and all of the agencies that are trying to do stuff, they don't have a lot of need yet and they have a lot of people wanting to help. But those things may change in the weeks and months ahead. And so I want you to remember your desire now So that in the weeks and months ahead, as opportunities present themselves, you can follow through on that desire. The desire is already there. God is giving you the resources so that you can do this. So you just make a plan that this is what you're going to do. Make a plan. Take some time. Here's here's what I want you to do. Two, Two things. First, take some time to identify what resources God has given you that you could share. Maybe you go through your your bank account and you're going to to do that. Maybe you're going to take stock of your pantry and you're going to do that. Maybe you're going to take stock of your skills or your abilities. And you're just going to, to pray and ask God, God, would you reveal to me what I have available? What have you blessed me with, God, that I can be generous to share with others? That's the first step. Take some time to identify those things. Pray through that. Ask God to reveal uh, what you have that's, that's in excess that you could share with others. And then second, pray that God will reveal the need. Pray that God will reveal the need. And here's what I am expecting. That as, as Jesus' followers, as, his, uh, as the people who are following him, reach out and pray and say, God, would you help me to identify these things? And we make a plan and a commitment that we will follow through to give when those needs are presented. That at some point, those needs will present themselves. And I I can't tell you right now what those needs will be. I just know that they'll be there. That He will give you opportunity to be generous. Generous. You might have to wait a long time. It might not be a lack of desire or a lack of resources, but you might have to wait. The Corinthians waited for over a year with the desire and the intention to give, but without the ability, and they were just waiting for Paul to send somebody back to to come and collect that which they had committed to giving. The time might might be a while. But if you if you take the time to identify these are the things that that God has given me that I can share, and then you're asking God, God, would you show me when these needs arise, then you'll be able to meet those needs right away. Take some time to see what you have available, make a plan and a commitment, and then follow through as you're able to. There are a couple of tangible things as I've been thinking about this and thinking about what I would share with you, there are a couple of tangible things that I can think of right off the top of my head. And that's first to pray for those who are in need. The the best we can do is to reach out to Him who has all resources, who has already richly uh, blessed us and is able to bless us. And so pray for those who have need. Second, reach out. Reach out to others. Reach out to those in your life group. Stay connected with them. Reach out to others in, in the church that you think uh, might have need or those who uh, are family or friends. Connect with them. Connect with your neighbors. We had uh, some, some friends uh, text us the other day. They were on a bike ride, they were coming through our neighborhood, and they said, Hey, we're coming past your house. Uh, do you want to come out on the front porch? And so I know that we're doing the social distancing, which is why you're there and I'm here right now. But they they came and they just were on on the sidewalk out in front of our house. And we were on our front porch and we talked with them for a little while. You could do the same thing with your neighbors. You could reach out to your neighbors, knock on the door, step back to a safe distance, talk with them, ask them, how are they doing? There may be people who are at home who are very lonely right now. Really looking for somebody to connect with. To encourage them. There are many people right now who are very anxious and they want somebody to talk to. Somebody that they can unload their burdens on. Somebody to pray with them. And you can reach out. Just pick a couple of neighbors. Go around and, and knock on doors and then step, take a step back and, and talk with them. How are you doing? Has anybody been checking on you? Is there anything that, that I can do to help? Call video chat with people who are Isolated. In the days ahead, we, we may have an uh, opportunity to comfort those who mourn and weep with those who weep. This is an opportunity to press into the community of the church that we have to encourage one another, to pray with one another. And finally, I want you to make a commitment. Commitment. That when all of this has passed and we're no longer social distancing and there's no more uh, coronavirus stuff going on. And and I don't know how long it will be before that happens. But make a commitment that when that does, that you will identify the places that you will continue to meet needs. Because not all the needs are going to go away when this does. And here's what I have seen in my own life and in the lives of others. That those who are already pressed in and helping to meet needs, when great need like this arises, they know where to give. They know what to do. If you haven't been pressed in and meeting needs somewhere, then you don't know. Then something like this comes up. Christmas time comes up. Thanksgiving time comes up. a, A crisis like this comes up and you go, Oh, I wish I had somebody to help because I really want to help right now. If you're already engaged in helping somewhere, then you can help in those places. They say, oh yeah, we really need this kind of help. If you're not already engaged, then at those times when everybody all at once is saying, oh, I want to help right now, they're going, we don't know how to have you help right now. And so when all of this is over, identify where are those places that you're really going to press in And where where you're going to take maybe some extra time or extra resources and say, this is where I'm going to give. Maybe God hasn't revealed to you yet where that is. That's okay. But I want you to to make the commitment and the plan that you're going to do that in the future. And this is what I expect to see. I expect that just as Uh, The Corinthian church encouraged the Macedonians to give and the Macedonians encouraged the Corinthians to give so that all of them could give generously to meet the needs of those who were in Jerusalem. And the whole church was united on that. Here's what I see coming. I see the whole church uniting to meet the needs of those who are in the church. And beyond that, I see New Life Church taking this as an opportunity to connect with their neighbors, to connect with co-workers, to connect with other community members, to find ways that we might demonstrate our love for them so that they would know how much we love them. And consequently, how much Jesus loves them because in all of this we recognize that it is not out of our own effort, nor is it for our glory, but it is out of the outflow of the love and the comfort that God has shown to us that we might then show that same comfort to others, which is how the whole letter began. That we might comfort those with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. And that is what I expect to see. That believers gathered together will be comforting one another and be expressing and demonstrating that love and comfort to those who are around them. So that the kingdom of God increases because of the love that is being demonstrated. So make a plan, make a commitment, watch for the needs and follow through. Let's praise God together. Father, we thank you that you are our God in heaven who has seen our needs and has met them abundantly. Father, we thank you that you can do more than we could ask or imagine. And right now, as people are uh, nervous and anxious and afraid, as they have a, a sense of fear and foreboding of what may come, lots of uncertainty. Father, we know that you are God in heaven and that has not changed. We pray, Father, would you show yourself to be faithful? Would you show us what we have as extra resources that we might share with others? Lord, would you teach us to be generous? And then, Father, I pray, would you reveal to us the needs around us so that no need may go unmet, but that we as the community of your believers might demonstrate your love to one another and to the world for the sake of your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.